0: like a wet blanket at the moment <laughs> thank you guys so much for um I just want to say I don't think are we still not on yeah so like it's you know don't put like things on a pedestal people and things like like our, we have an outage on our streaming service today so like I guess we could just do and say whatever you want and you know just put your <laughs> phones in your pocket and all that um I just want to say uh Thank you guys so much for just your love and support. Like, it's been a lot to D&I and and to our family. I mean, not just in the last six months, but just, I mean, ever since we've been here. You know, we we moved here, gosh, in mid-July of 18. So it's been almost four years, going on four years. And so uh, here's what I know. What I know is is that none of anything's possible, nothing's possible without God. You know, And, and, and so you know, no matter what shifts, wherever our life is, you know, if you just said six months ago or ten months ago or a year ago even that this is where we'd be, I've been, you know, I I just marveled that, you know, what could happen, you know, and, and Dave is is one of our elders. He goes, you never know what God could do in 12 months. Like, who knows where we're going to be in 12 months? He 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 said that over and over to me in the last six months and the last 12 months and even before that, and so I just want to encourage you, like, it's not me, or D, it's all of us, you know, and so I know, like, it's kind of cliche to say we're a spiritual family, and we wanted, we desire to be, but that's the honest truth, right, I mean, like, that's what we are as a body of Christ and a body of believers, and so I thank you guys so much for, uh, again, your love and support, and just the prayers and the encouragement, and here's the good news, the good news is I'm going to jack it up, that's the good news, but here's the, on the back side of that, We'll learn and we'll continue forward. And, and in the midst of continuing forward, we get to press into one another as well. Amen? Amen. All right. You guys are doing like haphazard graphics back there. It's funny. It's not centered. Can, I, can you make that? C- no, I'm kidding. Okay. Sorry. That's not funny. Well, it is kind of. All right. So, uh, happy Mother's Day, by the way. We have mothers in the room. Yes? Kind of, sort of? Sort of, kind of? Yeah, it's good. We're going to pray over you at the end of the service, so just hang with us while we get through this morning. Um, so last week we looked at the disciples on the road to Emmaus and learned several things, right? If, so this is, we're in this series called Kingdom of God, and the idea is that we want to look at just the ways that Jesus interacted with uh, his disciples post-resurrection, pre-ascension. So that's 40 days. 40 days, and then 10 days later, the Holy Spirit comes, and there's Pentecost, and they're in the room, and the tongues of fire, and all that stuff, too. So, you know, we're in that season right now, as as we are on the backside of Easter, and one of the things we looked at last night, or last week, excuse me, is Jesus sometimes withholds from us. I just said that, right? Like I said a second ago, if you would have told me 12 months ago, this is where things would be. I would say you're kind of crazy, right? Like, uh, that's good. I'm glad you know that because I I had no idea, you know, what's coming. But sometimes Jesus withholds from us what is coming to allow us the grace to walk through something hard that we cannot see. Isn't that true? Like, if you knew everything that you really say that you want to know and you needed to know and God revealed that to you, would we actually have the courage and the faith and the strength and the conviction, all those things, right, to step in? Or would we kind of take a step back and say, I'm not sure about that? So that's one. We talked about that last week. And then second, uh, we could trust Jesus' vision for our current and future situations, whether we understand, understand everything happening or not. That's my great hope, by the way, just of uh, the elders wanting to pull the interim tag, is whether I understand Everything at play or not, whether we understand everything that's at play or not in our lives individually, collectively, as a church, as a family, uh, as, as family units within the church, we can actually trust Jesus' vision for our current and future situations, whether we think we can or not, because he's planned all of those out. That's the great hope, is while I'm, not, I'm surprised, and while we often get surprised by what happens in our world and in our lives, Jesus is never surprised. He knows exactly what's happening in the moment. Okay, and so I wanted to... It's funny, you know, this whole morning kind of threw me off. But, you know, I wanted to give you a personal example of... of it's, Sometimes it's good not to be aware of what's coming. Let me just tell you quickly. So I had a friend named James, um, and he was getting married, and he asked me to be in his wedding. We had been friends very long, but we would sometimes sneak away from work and play golf and he was a better golfer than me which is not saying much because i he wasn't that good either right actually no actually he was pretty good and and so he asked if D and I would come and be in his wedding and so we did and and so we lived in Knoxville at the time we drove down to Atlanta and you know and you know how if you knew what was happening, you're like, oh, I don't know about that. But so like we're driving down, we get a speeding ticket. That's always fun. It's a great way to kick off a weekend is a speeding ticket. ever had a, a, a speeding ticket on a weekend away? Like you're in such a rush to get out of town because you want to enjoy your weekend. Then what happens? You get pulled over. And here's the funny thing. I remember it was a state trooper that did it. So there's no getting out of those. You know, if it's a state trooper, you're kind of stuck, right? And so like he got in behind me. He didn't even pull, turn his lights on. He just did this. You know, and I saw him in the rear view, and I'm like, I I think that means I need to get off to the side, right? I mean, he had his glove on. I mean, you know, I was like, this is kind of funny. So he gave me a ticket, and, you know, and I said, yeah, I didn't know what, you know, how fast it was. He goes, yeah, you should probably pay attention to that more, right? And as he was writing my ticket. um, And so there was that. um, In the wedding, we were in South Atlanta, Peachtree City specifically. It was, I guess, around this time, May, June, hot, humid and has anybody ever passed out before uh, in a wedding, or like seen someone pass out, like, because it got too hot, like, I got really close, so I should know this, like, you don't lock knees when you're standing straight, right, because you pass out, and so I realized that I had locked my knees, and I usually don't, and in the ceremony, I was a groomsman, the, the crowd starts kind of fading out, and everything starts pushing in from the edges, and and I realized how lightheaded and how hot I was in this black tux at like 2 in the afternoon in Peachtree City. And I was like, please don't, please don't, you know, I just, I just didn't want to pass out. Because like, who wants to be that person? Because you'll never be forgotten in that regard, you know. And so then the other thing is we're at the reception, so I made it through that. And then his dad, uh, James's dad, was the best man. And James's dad doesn't like speaking in front of people. And so we're like, okay. And so, so like two minutes before the best man speech is to be given, they hand me a mic and say, "Tyler, you're gonna give the speech." And I'm like, "Well, why me?" They're like, "Well, I don't know. You seem like the right person to do it." You know. And and at that point, like I was still kind of young in my career, and so speaking to a room of you know 300 strangers could be off-putting a little bit, right? And you know, and this is so anyway. But I, you know, I made my way through it. And here's the funny thing, like. If I would have known all those things, I was going to get a ticket, my insurance was going to go up, I had to pay the ticket, Um, you know, I almost passed out and embarrassed myself, and then had to do the, the best man speech, would I have actually stepped into that weekend? Almost seems like it's more trouble than it's worth. Agreed? Right? Plus the, you know, drive down, it's like four and a half hours, five hours anyway. But here's the thing, like, in that moment, like, I could trust that you know, God has given me the ability to speak publicly even though I had no warning, you know, but it was a little different. But can I trust God's vision for my life where he has me? And that's the thing, I think, for a church, right? Can we trust God's vision for a church where he has us no matter how things are? Like, things could certainly be better. Things could certainly be worse. But can we trust him either way? Agreed? Yeah. And so this morning, we're going to look at, you know, really, to be honest, the only reason I agreed to be in James's wedding, so Dean and I could get a free weekend away in Georgia, which wasn't very free at all. So anyway, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oh, we get a free hotel, and no, oh, no, we've got to pay it for a speed. But anyway, but I'll digress. So this morning, we're going to look at a similar interaction with the disciples, and could they trust Jesus' vision for their lives? And so the reality is this, can the disciples trust what Jesus sees versus what they had experienced in the wake of his death and and his ultimate resurrection? So John chapter 20 is where we're going to be this morning. John 20, verses 1 through 14, I'll run through this quickly. John chapter 20 says this, oh wait, is that wrong? 21. 21. My bad. There it is. I said 20. There's a, mis- There's a typo. It's funny, John chapter 21 through 40. Anyway, all right, so there you go. Don't put me on a pedestal because I cannot type. After this, in verse 1, it says, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which, by the way, is the Sea of Galilee. It's just on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. So when you see Sea of Tiberius, think Sea of Galilee, which is where he told his disciples to go after the resurrection. Tell the brothers to meet me in Galilee, and so here he is. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, those were the brothers, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Verse 4, just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know That it was Jesus. Here's one of those interactions where he hasn't fully revealed himself yet. That's what we're talking about the next couple of weeks. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. One of Jesus' miracles. The disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, who the gospel was written by, John, whom Jesus loved, therefore said "The Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. Now, when he says stripped for work, he wasn't stripped that way for work. He had an undergarment on. So just so you know, he wasn't in the boat naked and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging a net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it. Love that image. They're fishing, and they come find Jesus, and there's a fire with fish And bread on it. Bring some of the fish that you have caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them, and although there were so many that net was not torn, and Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. So this is different in the past examples we've been looking at where Jesus had to reveal himself. He did, but they got close to him and they knew it was him and Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead so verses 1 through 3 just quickly most of the disciples were originally fishermen right if you're familiar with how John found Peter and or Jesus found Peter and John the other disciples he said follow me and I will make you fishers of men fishers of people and so it's an interesting concept isn't it how Jesus first recruited people to help him build the kingdom. It's an interesting concept. First of all, let me just say to me and to you this morning is that he does not and did not and does not need our help to build the kingdom. That's a harsh reality. Ultimately, he really does not need us, but in his grace and mercy he asks us to join him with what he's up to. And so if you, anything, if you know anything from the Gospels, Jesus was often slowed down by the disciples, right? Their lack of understanding, even after explanation after explanation, they quite often would get in the way of the ministry that Jesus was actually trying to do. Right, A couple examples. One, the disciples arguing who is the greatest. Right, they've got Jesus, the creator, sustainer of the universe, in their midst, and they're arguing who's the greatest follower of Jesus. Sounds something like a person might do or a human might do, right? Well, I only fin- I was the first loser, right? I mean, like that's kind of it. Like when you argue, well, I I did pretty good. I came in second. Well, really, you're the first loser, right? Um, you know. But here's the thing, you know. Are you the greatest, but who is the greatest of all? And Jesus is like, well, hold on a second. No, actually, it's me, because I'm perfect, but I don't have a place to lay my head. But here you guys are arguing about who the greatest is. That's one. Two, Peter trusting that it is Jesus walking on the water and begs the Lord to have, have him walk with him and gets scared of the wind and the waves and sinks, right? Like, he's already out on the water, and then he sees the wind and the waves, and he starts to sink and fall in the water, I would have thought the first step out of the boat would have been scary, right? Like, can I really trust this liquid thing to be solid ground as I walk on it? But it's the wind and the waves that scare me, right? Like, And then number three, you know, the disciples, before Jesus' cruc- crucifixion, grumping at Mary about her worship of Jesus. You know, she breaks the jar, anoints his feet, cries her tears, wipes her hair, you know, his feet with her hair. That beautiful, beautiful picture of of this... Jesus being prepared for death and burial and this adoration that she's, you know, of of more than a year's wage, which is a lot of money, and then like still renders that kind of worship of Jesus in the midst of men, which she wouldn't have been allowed, and they tell her to get out, and they're like, wait a minute, this is Jesus. He's worth all of that and more as far as it comes to worship. Just the irony of that. And so it's in His grace that you and I, along with the disciples, And all believers get to participate in the kingdom with Jesus. Do you look at it that way? It's a grace. It's his grace. He does not need us to accomplish his purposes. Now, on the other hand, the disciples get a bad rap. How many times has Jesus had to navigate, you know, like me, kind of messing up what he has for me and then has to work around me anyway? You ever feel that way? Like, I know I've got this call in my life and God's called me to the season and but yet it doesn't go the way that I think it should, and so I get frustrated or I mess it up. Like, you ever feel that way? And so here's the interesting thing, is that Jesus takes the disciples' existing skill set and repurposes it to grow the kingdom. Don't miss that this morning. Jesus takes the disciples' existing skill set and repurposes it to grow the kingdom. See, the disciples were something before Jesus, and Jesus took that something, and used it towards something bigger than themselves. Here's the question: Do you think you and I are any different? Are we any different? You know, it's Mother's Day, so it kind of makes me think about moms. You know, there's certainly true uh, I think of moms and D, like I watch D struggle with something called mom guilt. Any moms in a room feel mom guilt? You're a boy, you can't raise your hand. <laughs> okay. I could say that declaratively. Anyway, okay. Uh, Right? I mean, there's this thing called mom guilt. You know, it's really easy for moms in particular to lose a bit of themselves in marriage or especially in motherhood when you have kids and you have to raise kids. Any moms ever feel that way? You lose a little bit of yourself. We'll talk about that when it gets to dads. You know, just like disciples, moms, each of you had a skill set before you had kids. And I would encourage you that if you've not used that skill set in a while, if you haven't thought about that skill set in a while, if you haven't thought about that gifting and how God's hardwired you, that maybe it's time to think about that and pick it back up. Maybe so. I don't know. You know, and the question I have for you moms is, that, is, there, is there a way that your existing skill set before you had kids, before you were moms, could be used to love and raise your kids? Just like Jesus repurposed the disciples as fishermen to become fishers of something else. I don't know. But that's just a food for thought since it's Mother's Day. Here the disciples are fishing all night and they've been skunked, right? So, you know, like I think that's pretty funny, you know. And so, you know, they didn't catch anything. You know, it, you know, it makes me think of those signs. You see those things on walls. You know, it says, my worst day fishing is better than my best day working. You ever seen a sign or something like that? Or, or like, my worst day on the, the golf course is better than a day in the office. You ever seen that sign or some form of that? Do you know why those exist? It's just to make us feel better because we're not good at fishing or playing golf. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's the thing, right? Et cetera, et cetera. Here they are, trained fishermen. Like, this is their livelihood. Not only do they provide for themselves financially, they also provide themselves, you know, from a food standpoint because it's fish. Here they are, trained fishermen, trying to get over the crucifixion, crucifixion, and they're like, let's go fishing, and nothing happens. I wonder if that's what they had in mind. Did they step into the boat thinking, man, I can't wait to get skunked tonight? But then Jesus shows up. And I love this. In verses 4 through 6, Jesus is on the shore, and he calls them. He doesn't say, hey, brothers. He doesn't say, hey, disciples. What does he call them? Children. Just so you know, I've never met a grown man who wants to be called a child. I certainly don't, although I probably act childish. Don't ask me because she'll tell you the truth. But that's the thing, right? Like, I've never known, you know, so it's, a grown man that that wants to be called a child, and I'm sure the disciples feel that way. So just I'm imagining like there's a stranger on the shore saying, children, and they respond. I I mean, it's just funny to me. You know, Jesus' sense of humor in this series has been really hilarious. I laugh about it a lot, Travis and I do. And then he asks the question, did you catch anything? So not only are they called kids, he goes, hey, did you catch anything? And, like, who wants to answer that question after a night of fishing where you don't have anything? And then he says this, right? So, you know, children, did you catch anything? And then he says, hey, try the other side of the boat. I bet you will find some. Like, they probably know how to fish, but yet they haven't. You know, and, like, it's like Jesus is mansplaining the disciples this morning. Which, by the way, you can do that. It happens. So here are the disciples. So just this image, just Think about this. They're trying to be fruitful at something they know how to do, right? They're trying to be fruitful in something they know how to do after taking the biggest loss of their ministry lives, and they're striking out. You ever feel that way? I feel that way all the time. Like, why are these things hard? Why shouldn't life be just a little bit easier? Why does everything have to be so complicated and so difficult? And so here's the thing about fruitfulness. I love this, this, this image. So imagine the disciples just kind of their ark. They were fishermen. Now they were fishers of men. Now they're trying to be fishers again because they don't know what's going to happen to them and their movement, even though Jesus has resurrected from the, the grave, and they're striking out. There's something about fruitfulness of what you're good at. But here's the thing, right? Like we've all had those moments where we're like, hey, you know what, I'm really good at this. God's gifted me this way. I'm going to press it and serve this way. And it just doesn't work out. And here's the thing. When you taste and see that Jesus is good, like that happened to me in 2003. Like I crossed the line of faith, and I, for once in my life, I tasted and was able to see and experience that Jesus was good. And then Jesus takes you where you are and whatever skill set he's given you and whatever gifts you have, and he begin to build the kingdom with your skill set. Like, that's even doubly better. Like, Jesus is good. He's sweet. Like, he could take you wherever you are and use you to expand the kingdom. That's a good thing. Like, we should all endeavor to do that. I know it's easy for me to say here with the job that I have, but it's true. Because I didn't always have this job. I didn't always sit in this seat or be at the church. But, like, I was like you guys, you know, working and, and still wanting to build the kingdom. And here's the thing. There's no greater satisfaction than helping someone or a group of people take next steps spiritually. There's no greater satisfaction. There's a lot of things in this world that would say that there's satisfaction, and you could have this kind of satisfaction. But here's the thing: when you realize the when you when you realize and you prioritize other things, that same level of fruitfulness that we've all been given, it's it's not there, and so. You know, when our skill, we don't use our skill sets purposely and intentionally to build the kingdom, something changes. It's kind of like trying to use Bitcoin to pay for pizza. It just doesn't have the same kind of value. Can you imagine, like, dropping a Bitcoin, which I don't think you can because they're digital, right? Like, you, can you imagine, like, dropping a, a Bitcoin on a pizza transaction for just a regular Friday night? Like, imagine that. There's just not the same value. So I want to say, moms, to to you first, you want to be the best mom? You want to be the right kind of mom? Don't work harder to be perfect or to get it right. Repurpose your kids to build the kingdom. Business owner, employee, you want to do the kind of work that you're called to do? Build the kingdom at your work or how you run your business. Manager, you want to manage people well? Manage them in such a way that they could see and experience who Jesus is. Teacher, you want to teach in such a way to build the kingdom. And so here's the thing. The disciples, they've been skunked and they haven't caught anything and they should be able to catch something. Can they trust this stranger on the beach? And of course they did, and they're now wowed by what he saw as opposed to what they saw. They were looking at a couple of things. It's all about, a ma- kingdom's all a matter of perspective. They were looking at something that said, well, no, you can't, you're not good enough, and it's not going to work out for you. And Jesus somehow sees something different for each of them individually and collectively together, and then also what's underneath the surface, like just that image of they're on the surface of the water, the fish are there, they haven't caught any, but yet Jesus sees the fish. Jesus sees the fish in your lives. And then verse 7, John recognizes Jesus, and Peter is so excited He jumps out of the boat and swims ashore and leaves the others to deal with the fish. I love that. Like, that sounds like something somebody would do in a group of friends. I'm out later, you know, and and he's gone. He's swimming toward the shore. He leaves them to handle it. But here's the thing. You and I should have that kind of response with Jesus. Do you know that? You and I should be willing to leave our nets. That's what happened when the disciples were called by Jesus. He said, hey, I'll make you fishers of men. You know what they did? They dropped their nets and left. Like, when we have actual, tangible Interaction with Jesus, it should impact us in some way. We should not allow ourselves, and I'll say that, we should not allow ourselves to just live life as usual. Shouldn't do that. You and I should be willing to jump out of the boat at a moment's notice. At a moment's notice. That's why we're looking at it seriously. Like right now, Jesus is trying to say something to you through my. Words, which is kind of ironic. But here's the thing. He's also trying to say something to you in everyday life, in every moment, if you're looking for him. It's all, like I said, it's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of vision. And then Peter in verse 9 and the rest of the disciples get to Jesus. And Jesus, I love this, has a table prepared for them to eat with the fish and the bread. They didn't bring the fish and the bread initially, but they get there, they see him, they react, they come ashore, and Jesus has a table prepared for them. Do you know that Jesus has a table prepared for you and for me, even right now? There's also a table that Tanya was talking about in heaven that will sit at the table with him in perfected bodies one day on the other side of eternity when this side is done and over. Like just And just, I love that image. He's on the beach. It's simple. There's a fire, and he has fish and bread waiting on him. And just like Jesus feeds the 5,000, he is prepared to feed his disciples, and he is prepared to feed you and me. Whenever we need it. He is prepared to feed you and me. Whenever we need it. In verse 10. uh, Again you know. Jesus has his own fish. He doesn't need their fish. And yet ask them to bring some of theirs. Anyway. Again back to that idea. Jesus doesn't need us to build the kingdom. But yet he asks us. He invites us. You want to get people to join you. You invite them. Jesus invites us into building his kingdom. Wherever we are with whatever we have. He has them bring their fish anyway. And I love this image. The Greek word for bring is Pharaoh, P-H-E-R-O, and Pharaoh happens to be the same Greek word as bear. So Pharaoh, it's one word, two meanings, depending on the context. Alright? And so he's not saying to them, bring the fish. He's saying, bear the fish that I have given you, fulfilling what he originally said when he called them to ministry. See that? Should Should I restate that? He's saying, bear the fruit, the fish that I have given you, when I called you that you would be fishers of men. He doesn't call us to bring what he has. He calls us to bear what he's given us. He calls us to bear what, is, what He's given us. Reflect to the world what He's given us. Reflect to the world what's inside of us. And I love that. Jesus is saying, bear the fruit that I've set before you. I do not need your fish, but I have set some before you to catch. Wow. That's amazing. What a place. What a position. What an opportunity that here they are, not, not fruitful at all, all evening, Jesus says, no, throw it on the other side, and all of a sudden there's fruitfulness that comes. And then he says, bring it, bring them, bear them to me. Bear them to me. And then verse 12. You know, last couple of weeks we've looked at that they don't recognize him. Mary didn't recognize him as the gardener. The disciples on the road to Emmaus didn't recognize him. Uh, We're going to look in a couple of weeks about how they didn't recognize what Jesus was in the room, and, and Thomas had that famous interaction with him. Like, uh, I, if, I, if it's him, I've got to touch his hands, and I've got to put my hand in his side. It's almost gruesome that, the way that Thomas wants to, 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 to verify that it actually is Jesus in bodily form. And in verse 12 it says this, Jesus invites them to the table prepared, and I love John's commentary in verse 12. It says, none of the disciples dare to ask him, who are you, for they knew it was the Lord. That's different. That's different. They knew it was the Lord. And what's different about this is. In John 16. 21-24. Jesus prophesied that this would happen. This actual interaction. In the morning. Just a couple of chapters back. John 16. 21. This is a lot of fun. And so. Jesus is talking about, teaching his disciples about sorrow and joy in this moment. He's teaching the disciples about sorrow and joy and uses childbirth to make a point. It seems appropriate for Mother's Day. And he says this, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. I don't know what, I've experienced that, but it's not mine. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for, a, for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Right? Right? I think we get that. But then, look at what he says next. He's talking to the disciples, remember. And so he says, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have not asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. This is the day in the boat. And they stayed silent, for they knew it was the Lord. They dared not ask him anything. They realized who he was. And until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. That's what Jesus is waiting for them to ask. I think that's what he's waiting for you and me to ask as well. Not just on Mother's Day for for our moms and for our kids, but every day of our lives. And so I think the band's going to come back up. And so that's where I want to leave you this morning. With all the stuff that we've talked about this morning, is that until now, you have not... Jesus is saying to his disciples they have asked nothing in his name and you to receive that your joy will be full and so here's the thing Jesus has a vision for our lives that we cannot always see but what we do know is that he has prepared invited us to the table not just this morning but every morning of our lives and so what I want to put before you is that we're supposed to ask for fruitfulness not just the fish so that we can live but for fruitfulness agreed? agreed and so here's what I'd like to do we're going to have a response song I said that we would pray over moms so if you're a mom I'm going to ask you to stand we got some moms in the room and so here's what I'd like for you to do just while they're playing in the background I'd like for you just to gather around the moms where you're at if this is okay if you just want your husband to do this that's okay but I would like for each of us to just pray over the moms in this room. Okay? And pray over them in a way that being a mom is a hard job. I know, I've got one, and she had to deal with me and my brother, you know? But here's the other thing. Pray that they would be fruitful. Pray that they'd be fruitful, not just in being a mom, but being who God's made them to be. And so I see some moms that don't have people yet, so if you'll find them, and pray over them I'm going to pray so Lord as we pray over just the moms in the room this morning my prayer God is that they would be made much of this morning because of just who they are and how you've positioned them in our lives and God as they work through the day to day things of raising kids maybe they're empty nesters and they've launched kids but then there's still the other pieces that are at play God, I pray that You would give them everything that they need—from endurance and grace and strength and mercy and courage and gentleness, self-control, all the things. And God, here's the thing that I know to be true, and this is what I understand: God, we call You Father, but perfectly You reflect maleness and femaleness, and so in moms, in fem- in the in in their lives, that You are reflected on them. And so we lift them up. We ask that they would be blessed, Lord, that they would be a blessing, that they would you would bless them, and that you would allow us to see them for who they are, a child of God, called to a very special, special station in life. So we ask, the Lord, that you would bless them. And in Jesus' name that I pray, we say amen. Amen. So the band's going to play. If you want to keep praying over them if you're not done make sure you do that and let's see